in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study through the grace of God, chapter 5 from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Chapter 5 from the first letter of St. Paul to Corinthians. As you know, the church in Corinth had many problems. The first problem was the problem of division. There were many parties in the church of Corinth. And St. Paul in the first four chapters dealt with this issue. And he made it very clear that division should not exist among the believers. Division is sign of spiritual immaturity. Division is sign of being carnal, not spiritual. If we are spiritual, we will be in unity, we will be in oneness as one body of Christ. And after dealing with the problem of division in the first four chapters, St. Paul now is moving to deal with another problem, which is the problem of immorality, sexual immorality. And in this chapter, actually, St. Paul addressed that instead of being puffed up, actually, they should be mourning, they should be sorrowful, in order to bring this person who committed this grave sin into repentance. And St. Paul used his authority as an apostle in the Lord Jesus Christ to excommunicate this person. And as St. Paul made it very clear, the excommunication here is the tool that the church used in order to bring this person to repentance. So the goal here is very clear. The goal is not to revenge, is not to destroy this person, but the goal is to bring him back to Christ, as he made it very clear, to save his soul in the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the last part of the chapter, St. Paul explained that this discipline should be exercised toward the believers, not toward those from outside. And he explained why. And also, he explained in details how excommunication should be uh, done and put into practice. Actually, this is the summary of the chapter, but let us start reading verse by verse and understand uh, this chapter together. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. St. Paul starts by saying it is reported. It is reported. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it is clear that 
the people, the believers in Corinth, sent to St. Paul a letter. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So they sent him a letter regarding some problems in their church. But apparently they didn't mention anything about this sexual morality, about this event. That's why he told them, it is reported to me, which means St. Paul heard about this issue from a third party, indirectly, not from them. Uh, so this matter will reach St. Paul indirectly. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So some people reported to St. Paul these matters in the church, but the believers in Corinth tried to hide these things from St. Paul. That's why St. Paul was disappointed. And, and as he blamed them later, he told them, actually, you need to be sorrowful, you need to mourn in order to bring, to bring this person to repentance. It's not right to hide on these sins in, in your church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Uh, and St. Paul told them that what happened among you as believers is a worse case than, than the Gentiles would do. And here by the word Gentiles, he refers to the non-believers. Non-believers. Because the Corinthians are not Jewish. So when he used here the word Gentiles, he means those who are not Christians. Because what happened? That this man had taken his father's wife, has taken his father's wife, or committed adultery with his father's wife, his stepmother. So St. Paul said, even the Gentiles, the non-believers, who do not know God, wouldn't do such act. But how come you believers who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, who believed in him, how come you allow such sin among you? That's why he told them, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. So this sort of incest was condemned by the Gentiles, by the Greeks, by the non-believers who do not know God. Verse 2. And you are puffed up. Puffed up. Why? These contentions and these divisions among them was indication of their pride. And also there was another problem about the gifts of the Spirit in the Church of Corinth. So people actually were bragging about their gifts, 
they are divided because some people say we belong to Paul, we belong to Apollos, we belong to Peter. So they are puffed up, feel uh, prideful. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So St. Paul is blaming them, blaming the whole church here. In face of such scandal, instead actually of being humbled and uh, mournful and covered with sense of shame that such immorality, which not even named among Gentiles, happened among them, instead of being humbled, instead of mourning the sin, they are puffed up. They are fighting with one another. They are uh, bragging with the spiritual gifts that they had. And St. Paul tried to tell them, your duty was to manifest sorrow. Your duty was to take serious steps in order to take evil from among you, in order to discipline this person in, so that he may repent and you remove from among you this evil, as he will explain later, because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So if we allow little evil in the church, it will spread, it will grow, and actually it will ruin the whole uh, assembly of the believers. And this gives us a very important fact that in the early church, when something happened like this, all the believers used to mourn those who fell into this grievous sin as dead because the wages of sin is death. So if there is somebody practicing a lowly, uh, sorry, evil deed, all the church mourn him as he did. And when this person repent, they celebrate his repentance as resurrection from the dead. And this actually should be the attitude of the believers. If anybody actually fell away from the right way, we should mourn and we should be sorrowful and we should actually try to help him to repent even if we used the concept of the tough love. This concept means we may use discipline, we may use uh, some sort of excommunication so that this person may feel sorrowful and repent and return back. But just to allow the sin to grow without taking a serious step, this is not right. This is not uh, proper. Actually, we are allowing the sin to expand and spread and destroy the whole church. That's why he told them, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. You should mourn this person as dead. Uh, that he who has done this deed 
might be taken away from among you to excommunicate him. Why? As St. Paul will explain, in order to save his soul in uh, the day of the Lord. Verse 3. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, judged him who has so done this deed. St. Paul was not there in Corinth. He was absent. But as their spiritual father, as their apostle, his spirit was with them. So he told them, although I am absent in body, but as your spiritual father, I am always present with you. My spirit is with you. And St. Paul, by his authority, as an apostle, as a priest, because God gave authority to the priesthood, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Whatever you lose on earth, it will be lost in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. So St. Paul said, although I am absent, but because I am present with you with my spirit, so now I have judged the case as present and commanded the church as a body, as the body of Christ, to take an action by excommunicating this person who practiced this evil, to excommunicate this person. Uh, and here, just I want to explain that excommunication ought not to be done by one person, by one man power, but should be done by the authority of the church after careful and diligent uh, examination. So the clergy study the case examine the case very carefully and diligently. And after all the facts become clear to the church, and here I mean by the church, the clergy, because they are the people who received the authority from our Lord Jesus Christ, then actually maybe a discipline can be done, like excommunication. And that's actually what we do right now, if there is uh, anything was reported to the church, a clerical council is formed. So that not one person will make the judgment, but two or three persons at least study the case carefully and diligently. And then the, after they examine all the evidences, they make the final decision and the purpose of the decision, I repeat again, is the salvation of the person. How to help him and how to bring him back to repentance, even if we are going to use the concept of the tough love. And excommunication is done by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave to the apostles 
and their followers, the clergy. For I indeed, as absent in body and present in, pre in spirit, have already judged as though I, I were present, judged him who has so done this deed. What is the judgment? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why he said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this excommunication is done by the authority of the Lord. So he's excommunicating this person by the power of the Lord. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, St. Paul is saying, this action, this discipline, is actually the duty of the Holy Church. Because the people actually have role in excommunication, as St. Paul will explain. Excommunication, in its real meaning, not only to prevent the person from taking a communion, but also not to socialize with this person. As St. Paul made it clear at the end of this chapter, not even to eat with him or drink with him or socialize with him. Because the word excommunication means he is out of all communication. So no communication with this person. Nowadays, when we say excommunication, only we prevent the person from taking communion. But the excommunication in its right way and proper way is total isolation of this person from any communication with the assembly of uh, the believers. That's why St. Paul said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm doing this by the power of the Lord, when you are gathered together with me, along with my spirit, because also you have duty. I, with the authority, will make the decision, but you will apply it and put it into practice. So, he will be present in the spirit since the act will be carrying by his command. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, he repeats over and over, I'm doing this according to the power of the authority, according to the canons of the church, according to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the act of excommunication for any misdeed, when administered according to the will of the Lord, is not merely a man's decision, but will be executed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is not a human decision. It is what the Lord wants to happen. It is the power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, that's working in the church. Verse 5. Now he is elaborating what excommunication is. He said in verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to deliver such a one to Satan? What does it mean? 
when the person is excommunicated from the assembly of the believer, from the church of God, from taking communion, then actually as if he is transferred from the kingdom of Christ into the kingdom of Satan. Now he is isolated from the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ is the church. The kingdom of Christ is the body of the church. If he is not a member in the body of the church, now he is in the kingdom of Satan. Now he goes back under the authority of Satan. To deliver such a one means to transfer him from the kingdom of God to the prince of this world. Because all those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and not a part in the body of Christ, actually they are belonging to the kingdom of Satan. What does it mean to for the destruction of the flesh? He said, we will deliver such a one to Satan. Means he will leave the kingdom of God and will be transferred into the authority of Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh. Some people said destruction of the flesh means to give authority to Satan to attack him with some diseases in his body. But actually, the most acceptable uh, interpretation of this verse that St. Paul meant by the flesh here, the fleshly desires that caused such sin. These fleshly desires must be destroyed. So St. Paul, when he said, to, for the destruction of the flesh, he meant for the destruction of this ungodly fleshly desire, for the destruction of this lustful desire. When the person feels that he is away and far from the grace of God, he will mourn. And this will help him, this mourning and this sorrow will help him to destroy the fleshly desire and return back in repentance, seeking that God may accept him. Let me give you a story from the church history to explain this to you. I'm sure some of you heard about St. Mary of Egypt. This person contacted her life in a very lustful way. Actually, she practiced sexual immorality with everybody and she used to sell her body in order to gain money. And during the Holy Week, she decided to go to Jerusalem because many people go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Holy Week and the Feast of Resurrection. So she decided to go to Jerusalem to do what? In order to practice evil there with the pilgrims, with those who are going there to worship and celebrate the Holy Week and the Feast of Resurrection in the Holy Land. So she went there with the intention of practicing evil and went to the church 
in order actually to bring some of her victims. And when she arrived to the church, there was invisible power prevented her from entering the church. She tried to enter into the church, but she couldn't. God prevented her by invisible power from entering the church. So this was like excommunication. This was like delivering her to Satan. Now she is not allowed to come into the kingdom of God. So she is in the kingdom and under the authority of Satan. And when actually she realized the seriousness of this matter, now I cannot come into the church. So what will happen? If I cannot enter the church, definitely I cannot enter the paradise of joy. Definitely I cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And she started to mourn. And she started to be sorrowful. And she made a vow. If God, if God accepted her repentance and allowed her to enter into the church, then actually she will repent and live all her life in, in, in life of repentance. And God, who does not desire the death of the sinner, but rather that he returns and lives, had mercy on her and accepted her repentance and allowed her to enter into the church. And after she entered the church, actually she transformed completely and lived a very serious life of repentance. She went to the wilderness and remained there in prayer, vigil, fasting, asceticism, asking God to have mercy, to have mercy on her. And God sent to her a priest named Zosima, who took her confession and gave her communion and assured her of God's forgiveness. And actually, he witnessed that she repented and God accepted her repentance. And he is the one who recorded her story for us. And now we consider her one of the saints of the church, St. Mary of Egypt. So this is an example how the excommunication, how preventing her from entering into the church, led her to repentance, led her to be sorrowful. But this sorrow was in a godly manner, which led her to repentance and salvation. That's exactly what St. Paul meant by delivering such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, for the destruction of the fleshly desire which caused such sin. Because the humiliation of excommunication, the sins of one's uh, lost condition actually uh, will help him to repent, will help him to repent. That's why St. Paul said that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And it's very clear that the salvation is the object of the true discipline. So the true discipline is not 
just venting anger. It's not just uh, revenging, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We cannot avenge anybody. Vengeance is his. And discipline shouldn't be just venting our anger. This is wrong. But discipline has a purpose and has a goal, which is salvation. Parents, when they discipline their children, they should have this goal very clear in their mind. I'm not venting my anger. I'm not just revenging, but actually I am training my son or my daughter and leading her to salvation, to repentance, to improve her life or his life. So salvation is the object of the true uh, discipline. If carried out properly, it would bring repentance. And with this uh, sinner, it was effective. As you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, that this man repented and was accepted again in, in the church. Uh, the, the story of his repentance is recorded to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Verse, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? St. Paul is now is blaming them because instead of being humbled and become sorrowful, they were boasting. So he told them, your boasting in such a state of affairs was uh, not right, unseemly, is wrong. What, why you are boasting? Why you are glorying? You actually should mourn, should weep, should lament to bring this person in repentance. And he gave them a very example, practical example. He told them, if you have a little leaven and you put it in a whole mass of dough, what will happen? This little leaven will leaven the whole lump. In the same way, this one sinner actually will send a corrupting influence through the Holy Church. It will be a negative influence on the rest of the believers. So if the church does not take a serious action, many people will do the same. They say this is an acceptable behavior. Nothing wrong with this. Now we have a man uh, having an affair with his father's mother, uh, father's wife. So uh, maybe some people actually will do the same because the church didn't take a serious action. Corruption actually spread very quickly. So St. Paul told them in verse 7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. St. Paul actually is referring here to something, some ritual from the Old Testament in the celebration of the Passover. 
St. Paul is saying this sin is like a leaven. Leaven that spread quickly. And you need to remove this leaven of impurity from among you. By putting this man, this fornicator, putting him away from the church. That the church may be pure from the impure leaven or the impure influence. Not only we have to remove the evil doer from among the church, but every person has to remove any sin from his heart. If there is a sin hiding in your heart, you need to remove it. Because your heart is the body of Christ. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you. And we need to remove this leaven from my heart in order to be pure and holy temple for the Holy Spirit. During the feast of Passover, during the feast of Passover, one of the rituals is to remove all the leaven from the house. That's why the feast was called the feast of the unleavened bread. And the people actually eat only unleavened bread. They don't eat any leavened bread. Because leaven is a symbol of sin. So with the Passover, which we celebrate uh, as a sign of our redemption and our salvation, we need to remove all leaven and only we celebrate with unleavened bread. Mean remove all evil, all sin from our life. Maybe some of you will ask, why in the Urbana, the bread that use it in the divine liturgy, why we use leavened bread? We don't use unleavened, we use leavened bread. Why? Leaven, as I told you, is a symbol of sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who carried the sins of the whole world. That's why the Urbana has leaven in it. This bread that becomes the body of Christ has leaven in it to symbolize that the Lord Jesus Christ carried our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So we remove sins and leaven from our heart and the Lord Jesus Christ carry our sins in his body. And then he shed his blood on the cross in order for uh, to save us for our salvation and uh, redemption. So, at the Passover, Jews were required to put all living from their houses. As we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. And now, we have our Passover lamb, the true lamb of Passover, Jesus Christ. Because the Passover lamb that the Jews used to offer is a symbol of our true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in in verse uh, 7, St. Paul named Christ for indeed Christ our Passover, our Passover lamb. Now Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, slain for us. He died for us on the cross. That's why the church 
should cleanse out the leaven of sin. And the Jews used to remove all leaven from their houses. Now our cry, our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, slain for our sins. That's why we need to remove any leaven from among us, the evildoers, and purify our heart from every leaven. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Old leaven means any impurity, whether among the believers or in your heart, that you may be a new lump. New lump means unleavened, without any impurity. Since you are truly unleavened, unleavened means without blemish, without sin. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed, for verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. St. Paul is saying, keep the feast. Which feast? Actually, every day in our life is a feast. So, all our life we are celebrating the feast of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, we celebrate his victory over Satan. We celebrate our salvation. That's why every day we say, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So when St. Paul said, let us keep the feast, he's not referring to a certain day, to a certain feast, but he's referring to all our life, because all our life is a continuous feast, a continuous celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it is always our duty to keep festival by what? By casting out all living, by casting out all impurity, uh, either the old living of heathen vice or of the living of wickedness or any sin. St. Paul said here two things. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven. Old leaven, he is referring to the practices of the unbelievers, the practice of the Gentiles, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, or the leaven of sin that may spread among the believers. So he said we, we should not do the practices of the unbelievers. This is leaven by denying Christ or not believing in him, or any sin that spread among us. And St. Paul here, he said that the living is not only sexual immorality. Living refers to any sin. That's why he said malice and wickedness. Because many people, many, some people may think that St. Paul is speaking only about sexual immorality. But St. Paul said, no, any sin is leaven, wickedness is leaven, uh, malice is leaven. So we need actually to celebrate the feast with no, not with this leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread. When we remove this sin from our heart, 
then we live in sincerity and truth. Let us lead our whole life as it were continual feast, honestly and uprightly. That's why he said, with truth and sincerity, with honesty and in upright way. Verse 9. Now, from verse 9 to verse 13, in these five uh, verses, St. Paul explaining to us that immorality must be judged. How to put it in practice, that's what he will explain in these five verses. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. I wrote to you in my epistle means there was an epistle before this one, but apparently we don't have it because this is the first epistle to Corinthians. But apparently there was another letter, an earlier letter, which unfortunately has not been preserved. Maybe it was a short one, but it's clear here when he told them, I wrote to you in my epistle, that there is another epistle, but uh, unfortunately it was not preserved for us. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Now St. Paul is telling them excommunication doesn't mean only to stop him from taking communion. But actually, the fornicator in the church must be shunned as an outcast for the sake of discipline, not to socialize with him. Because if we socialize with him, if we invite him to our houses and we visit them in their houses and we socialize with them, eat with them, drink with them, actually you are sending a message of approval. And why he would change if we approved his action? That's why the church should send a strong message of disapproval. We don't approve this practice. This will help him to repent and to change his behavior. But if we socialize with him, then actually as if we're telling him, we approve what you are doing. Uh, so not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly, verse 10, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. St. Paul here is saying, my direction is concerning the believers, concerning those who are brethren in the church, not the unbelievers. Why not the unbelievers? As St. Paul said, yet I certainly not, did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. He's telling them in your work, in your daily activity, actually you will communicate with people in the world. And unfortunately many people from the unbelievers live in sexual immorality, they are covetous, extortioners, uh, 
idolaters. So if I told you, St. Paul is telling them, if I told you, don't keep company with these people, the only way is to leave the world, to go out of the world. And this is not practical. So he did not give directions concerning uh, their conduct and their communication with the unbelievers. Because to apply this rule, it will require that the church have nothing whatever to do with the uh, unconverted, which means to go out of the world. But we have responsibility toward the believers. We have responsibility toward our brethren. So the church members must not have a social fellowship with a member who is guilty of uh, these sins. As he said in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Named a brother means a believer, brother in the body of Christ. So if there is a believer in the church who is practicing sexual immorality, or who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So now St. Paul is making it very clear. Here he is telling them excommunication means not only prevent him from taking communion, but even not to socialize, not to eat with this person. And he mentioned some sins here. Sexual immorality, clear, covetous, those who are greedy for money, idolaters, those who are worshipping idols, how come they are brethren, believers, and worshipping idols? Ego is worshipping idol, money, love of money is worshipping idol, so many believers may worship icons, uh, idols in our life. Does it mean uh, I deny Christ and I worship idols? But if I worship my ego, this is uh, worshiping idols. If I'm loving a lover of money, this is uh, worshiping idol. If I'm loving of pleasure, this is worshiping idol. Reviler, those who curse others. Drunkard those who drink and get drunk, and uh, extortioners, those who are not honest in dealing with others. Not to eat means either at the Lord's table in communion or in friendly meals, which would imply uh, a brotherly recognition, because when we eat together in friendly meal, or in agape meal, or in our houses together, as if we, are, we give this person approval or recognition. Uh, but it is not our responsibility to judge those from outside, as he said in verse 12, not even to eat with such a person. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Those who are outside means the non-believers. I, I don't have any responsibility toward the non-believers because they are outside the church. But those who are in the church, we have responsibility toward them. 
and we have to uh, to use the concept of tough love, which is discipline, because we love them and want to bring them back to Christ. Do you not judge those who are inside? So the authority of the church is over those who have been uh, united with the church. They are members in the body of Christ. We have responsibility to judge them. We have to judge their actions. This That's what I mean. And to discipline them in order to bring them back to repentance. But the unbelievers, those who did not convert to Christianity, it is the responsibility of God to judge them. As we read in verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges. So the non-believers will be judged by God. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. We are not asked to seek to inflict any punishment on the non-believers, but rather to go to them in the love of Christ and to try to lead them to and preach them to uh, accept Christ. But regarding the believers, regarding the brethren, the members in the body of Christ, St. Paul summarizes the whole chapter in the last verse. Put away from yourselves the evil person. So here is an apostolic order to execute discipline upon the offender. An order that we know from the second uh, letter that it was obeyed by the church. The Holy Church in Corinth obeyed this apostolic order. And here I want to tell you, sometime when the church practiced discipline, some people in the name of love, in the name of mercy, try to come and to challenge the authority of the church or try to speak about that the church has no mercy, has no love, the church does not forgive, etc., etc. And they, they think they are doing this to save the person. But actually, they don't know. They are enabling the offender to continue in his offenses. And if they really care about the person, actually, they should obey the church authority. And all of them together, you know, uh, practice this excommunication in order to bring this person back to repentance. If the church in Corinth did not listen to St. Paul, and they continue to socialize with this person, I am telling you, he wouldn't repent. He wouldn't return back to Christ because he received recognition and approval by the church. But when the Holy Church took a stand to help him to repent, took a stand against him, and isolated him completely, actually he became sorrowful. And this sorrow led to repentance. So many, many times, in the name of forgiveness, in the name actually of love, and in the name of mercy, we hurt the offender, and we don't lead him to repentance. But if we obey like the church in Corinth, if we obey the ruling of God and the authority of the church, definitely we will help this person to return back, and we will rejoice with him with his repentance, and we will celebrate his repentance as a feast of resurrection. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.